podcast. It's called the Matthew West Podcast. I really hope you like it. What's up, my friends? Welcome to another episode of the Matthew West Podcast. I just want to say that wherever you're listening from, however you're listening, thank you for making this show part of your day, part of your week, part of your routine. I want you to know that means so much to me, and I don't take it for granted. And that's why I'm praying a bold prayer for you today. I'm praying a bold prayer over today's podcast episode. Are you ready? This is the prayer. I'm praying that this time that we get together will be a game changer in your life a game changer in your spiritual walk with the Lord, a game changer in your story. And I'm not praying that prayer because I think that this show is entertaining. I'm sure you can agree with me that the last thing we need right now is another entertainment option. No, what our souls are craving is some real and genuine time spent in the presence of God, allowing him to speak to our lives. And so by listening to this podcast, I pray that you're also making the decision to stop your lives long enough to listen to what God has to say to you. I want to read this quote from C.S. Lewis that I love. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. The moral of the story is that God is always speaking. The question is, are we listening? And so may your heart be tuned to that frequency. And if it's not, just say a quick prayer before we even get started. Say, Lord, Help me to quiet myself right here and right now. Take a deep breath. Lord, speak to me. I'm here. I want to be still and know that you are God. I need you right now. I'm here to spend time with you. Amen. We've made it into the month of November. It's the first week of November, a historic week for our nation. It's election week. Of course, you didn't need me to tell you that. If you didn't know that already, you've been hiding under a rock somewhere, and in which case, I kind of wish I could have been there hiding with you because I am exhausted. Are you exhausted from the news, from the debates, from the tension, from the arguments, from the uh, from all the things of 2020? You know what I'm talking about? You don't need me to read the laundry list. This has been a hard year, and it looks like it's going to be some more hard months. And so let us all be praying for healing to take place in our land. I got to tell you, I couldn't think of anybody better to have on the show this first week of November than somebody who is a bright light. I got to meet her several years ago. I was booked to speak at a women's conference, and I was feeling highly uncomfortable. I sang a song to the crowd, and I think the first line says, I don't think I've ever been in a room with so much estrogen, and it scares me. (laughs) Then I went into uh, Shania Twain's Man, I Feel Like a Woman. It was uh, highly controversial, but uh, we had a good laugh. Anyways, at that women's conference, I got to hear this guest speak. And I got to meet her and we became friends. And I just am blown away by the way that she shares her story with humor, heart, authenticity, and a knowledge of scripture that is truly inspiring. She's got her doctorate. She's written best-selling books and devotionals. I'm reading her book right now. It's called The Sacrament of Happy. I highly recommend it. If you feel like you struggle tapping into true happiness and contentment in your life, you've got to read that book. You're going to be blown away by today's conversation. We got together backstage at one of the only concerts that we both 
had on our schedules this year. One of the only things that didn't cancel, it took place in Branson, Missouri. Uh, Just a short time ago, we got together backstage and I was blown away by this conversation. I'm praying that it speaks to your heart in a powerful way. Without further ado, let's go to the story house with my friend, Lisa Harper. Thank you for doing that. Oh, thank you for having me. I was proud. Are you uh, totally tired of podcast interviews? How many Not with people like you. Whatever. 462. 462. Um, <laughs> but who's counting? Sometimes you think if I do one more Zoom thing, I'm going to punch myself in the throat. <laughs> because I'm such an expert and I love people. Yeah. But if I can see faces, like to get to be this close to you and see your expression and it not be on a blue screen. Yeah. No, I'm like, I would have walked here for this. So the Zoom speaking engagements, you've had them. Like crazy. In had a lot of them, had a lot of virtual conferences, and we live out in the boonies. Okay. And the Wi Fi is so bad. It's like dial up. It's two hamsters <laughs> in a wheel. It's slower than dial up. So when I do Zoom, it's like, remember the old Godzilla movies? Oh, no. Where the voice track is like at least yeah. like 10 yeah. seconds off the film. That's Zoom for us. <laughs> so it's not only you don't get to be with people, it's like, this is maddening. And I've seen people in the squares, and you, they get this quizzical look like, I didn't think she's really this incoherent. And yeah. I'm like, well, I just don't even know what to say. You find out in a hurry that we do get used to response oh, from an oh, audience. 100%. I mean, yeah. Well, for me, it's a, two-way it conversation. A, it's a two-way conversation. And it's very tactile to me. So when I watch faces, it's not about performing. It's when you go, I think God has given me this. And then you relay it as best you can as a donkey in a rock. He doesn't need us. We get to be part of the story. But last night I realized about midway through, I think this was just for me. I'm pretty sure he just, <laughs> pretty sure he just revealed. There's this killer passage in Numbers. You have gone back to get a doctorate. Which and is, so, I, this is the first time I've heard the phrase, there's a killer passage in Numbers. I know, I know. <laughs> nobody thinks, it's like nobody cross-stitches Numbers. There's this passage that has just slayed me. I'm sure you've heard of it. You've probably written a song about it. Uh, do you know about the daughters of Zelophehad? I actually have a song <laughs> by that title. These chicks, baby. Um, there's this story I'd never seen before. Oh, you know, I grew up half Baptist. I've seen all the stories. Half Final Baptist. Graft. My mom was Baptist. Dad was Pentecostal. Okay. So I'm Baptistical. Okay, thank you. So, for so that. but I thought I knew just about every story in biblical narrative because I've been in church since I was in utero. And <laughs> there's a story I'd never seen in Numbers. That was the law of absolute primogeniture. You know, during that period of time, if a man died, only his firstborn son inherited the estate. Mm. If there's no firstborn son, it went to his brother, his brother's sons. Well, anyway, there's this place in Numbers 27 where this guy named Mr. Zelophehad dies, and he has all these daughters. And normally they just grin and bear it. They're chattel at that point. They're owned by men. And instead, I guess they'd been like taking Krav Maga because they go to Moses and they go, we don't think this is fair. And you're like, Ooh, they stand up to Yes. And you're like, they are going to get fried into grease spots of oblivion. Like, you know, you're not <laughs> right. allowed to do that. And the wife wouldn't do that, much less the daughters. They go to Moses. Moses goes to God. I mean, it's uncanny. I'm like, how did I miss this? And God essentially, I'm taking the teeniest bit of liberty with Hebrew, but God says they're right. Give to them their father's estate. And as a matter of fact, he changes the inheritance laws right there in Numbers 27 Mom. to benefit his daughters. 
I mean, stunning when you read it yeah. in the proper socio-historical context. You're like, oh, dang, dog it. All the way back then, yeah. you know, 3,400 years before women start burning their bras, God is already redeeming right. women. And so you think, well, surely they kind of get quiet after that, you know, because that's kind of a big deal. And they're like, let's just kind of quit while we're ahead. Nope. A couple of chapters later, Numbers 36, the end of the book, they realize if they stay in these arranged marriages or allow themselves to walk into an arranged marriage, that they'll lose their inheritance. So they go to Moses again a second time, and they go, we don't think we should have to stay within the, you know, basically the parameters of, of arranged marriage because the pickings are pretty slim. You know, I'm 57 and single, so I can totally, <laughs> I, wanted, I was like, I will amen you and run a lap on that. And God says, Moses goes, you know, these daughters are here again. They don't want to go through arranged marriage. And he says, that's right. right. And it's literally in there, like even in old Bibles, like yeah. this is it in the message. This is like straight up ESV. God says, let them marry who they want to marry. And it's just stunning when you go, we kind of tend to think of the God in the Old Testament as a unibrow librarian. you mm. just waiting to smack us over the head. Yeah. Jesus in the New Testament is, you know, running around with Brett Girl hair extensions all warm and fuzzy. <laughs> and you go, no, right. that's not the character of God. Right. He has always been redemptive. He's always been kind. He's always been loving. He's not bipolar. He's not mean in the Old Testament, kind in the New. He's yeah. always been kind. We're the bipolar. <laughs> Absolutely. We don't always see it in context. But anyway, I thought that was really a good that's thing powerful. to teach about. Yeah, I, it wasn't very powerful. I know now, <laughs> but I know now why I, I don't know that story is because there's probably not a whole lot of male preachers lining up to uncover that <laughs> I'm truth. I'm not touching that, Matthew, with a 10-foot pole. I'm not touching it. Okay, so seriously, though, so you bring this message. When you do these speaking engagements, mm -hmm. do you deliver the same message each? Mm -mm. So it's different every time, because I know some people— I mean, it's not different every time, because sometimes, you know, it's just like you'll have a song that you go, oh, well, I don't know, but I would assume there's some songs you go, I would be fine if I never sang that again for the rest of my life. Right. There's other songs that you go, if I only sang this song for the rest of my life, this, this is enough. This, this is, is enough. And this true. is the gospel. This is Jesus. This is through my lens. Yeah. This is how I experienced Jesus. So there's some stories. I say, like I teach the same thing over and over again. It's that we have a perfectly holy God yeah. who is absolutely in love with us. He moved heaven and earth on our behalf to reconcile us into a right. I mean, I say that over and over and over again, just through different biblical narrative. So I may be teaching on numbers, mm -hmm. but I'm going to say the same thing if I'm teaching on Luke 11. You know, right. It's the same message. It's this great, kind God who made a way for us to be reconciled to Him. So I don't usually do the exact same template, sure. but the message is the same well, every time. For me, it's like with songs— We'll be at a summer festival, and some nights I'll be like the last one on stage, and I'll say, you know, all the songs you've heard today, different melodies, different right. lyrics, different titles, man, we're all telling the That's same right. story. That's right. Your knowledge of Scripture mm -hmm. and your ability to, it's all coming to that same final destination. It it's that now what? It's that Billy Graham moment. That's okay, right. What are you going to do with That's this right. message of a God That's who's right. not bipolar, right. of a God who loves who's you? Who's not unkind, who's yeah. not a misogynist, who's not. I was sitting in a, a seminary class two years ago, two summers ago. And I mean, Matthew, I am the dumbest person in this doctoral candidacy. Like my first day of class, I was with one of my heroes, this guy named Craig Blomberg. He was on the original translatory team for the second version of the New International Version. Like of them. Oh, wow. brilliant, like he can quote the Septuagint. And I've had like this platonic crush on him for 20 <laughs> years since my first go around in seminary when I got my master's. 
And so there I am sitting in Dr. Craig Blomberg's class, and the first question I ask him, I massacre the pronunciation of a theological term. <laughs> I mean— <laughs> Were you trying mass- to, like, impress him yes, with the question? I was trying to sound just smart. Oh, just totally showed what a moron I am. <laughs> and he kind of turns around from the board. I'm the only woman in class. There's, like, nine people in there, and I'm the only woman. And he turns around, and he goes— Miss Harper, and he corrects me, you know, on the pronunciation word, and he said, and "Did you, just you realize?" Shrunk. No, I started laughing. I said, "Yes, sir. I was just testing you." <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> you're like, well, he might as well know I'm a moron. But I'm constantly just like, "Wow, I didn't know that." Well, I'm sitting in this class two years ago, and we had been looking at a passage that I had read. I don't know how many times before. But I'd never seen the profound kindness of God in the Mm. passage. Class ended, and I stayed in my desk and couldn't stop crying. And the professor walks back in. He had left something, and you can tell he's like, oh, geez, what's the deal with this woman? Balling her guts out in class. You could tell he thought I should be in the counseling track Mm. (laughs) instead of the theology (laughs) track. But I just said, Dr. Howard, I always hoped that God was this kind and this perfectly redemptive, but I think there was a corner of my heart that didn't believe he was really this good. I think in the corner of my heart, I was an emotional agnostic. And so the more I dive into God's Word and find Him to be so infinitely kind, I mean, it undoes me. I feel like I'm more in love with God and His Word now as a 57-year-old than I was, you know, when I was doing youth ministry and wearing the T-shirts and so gung-ho. He is who he says he is. It's interesting to me that in an academic setting, I would think of that as being this more cerebral experience Mm -hmm. where you're kind of, it's more the head than the heart, and yet here you are. The deeper you're diving into Scripture, the more you're learning that God's Word truly is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and he keeps revealing. I've found, like, in 2020, like, the same scriptures. This has been a year where the scripture read for the thousandth and one time. I don't even know if that's the right way to say it. It's like a whole Uh, new meaning. It's almost like like God knows, and that's a beautiful glimpse of his kindness and how he reveals new truths to us in scripture. So you went this is coming from somebody who barely made it through four years of an undergrad, and it was a music degree. So you went and got your master's from? Got my master's from Covenant. I was working way back in the day. I did youth ministry, and then I wanted to staff at Focus on the Family. We had these national women's conferences, and the first one we had was in Nashville, Tennessee. I was living in Colorado at the time. And I can remember it like it was yesterday. You've experienced this a million times. I'm standing on a stage. It's in the round, so there's one all the way around. There were almost 20,000 women at this event, and I don't remember what I was teaching on, but I either said something funny or something poignant, and, you know, everybody responded. And when you have 20,000 people, you know how there's just that kind of everything is amplified anyway. And I remember in that moment, I remember it like it was yesterday. I was 30 years old, and I remember looking around and going, oh, golly jeepers, I bet you, Nickel, I am slinging heresy, but I don't know what. I don't know where I'm getting God's Word wrong because I've never studied it responsibly in a a seminary setting. And I thought, Lord, if this is what you've called me to, I'm not married. I've got the luxury of some extra time because I'm not Mm. taking care of children. And I thought I will do the best I can to just 
study if this is what you called me to, to teach the Bible. Like to be more well-equipped. Right. Given that, right. hey, this looks like this is going right. to be, you're going to extend my And that's my not platform. to say everybody has to go to seminary. There's amazing study helps online now, but that's kind of all I knew. I was like, I really want to be as responsible as I can as somebody who opens your Bible and says, here's what I think God is saying to us. And so I started seminary in my 30s and got a master's of theological studies and loved it. You know, some of the classes, yeah, are, are maybe a little academic. But for me, it was more about I want to see Jesus bigger. I want to understand the stories on these pages because I know sometimes I'm not seeing— yeah, What am I missing? Seeing them one-dimensional. Yeah, yeah, I'm not seeing the full color of the story. And then, golly, I graduated latter 30s, about the same time I lost my metabolism. Um, <laughs> and then I brought Missy home from Haiti through the miracle of adoption the year I turned 50. And Missy was four, so I'm a— relatively new, old mom. And it's just been the sweetest thing to go, how can I model life for her? And I thought I want her to be a lifelong learner, and I want her to see that learning is fun. And I thought, you know, Pumpkin's doing her homework every night. I'll go back and get a doctorate because I love to study. That's amazing. And I want to see Jesus more clearly. And the way we see Him more clearly is through inscripturated revelation, through God's Word, and through the Holy Spirit. And so I thought, okay, one of those I can pray for, and the other one I can get my tired rear end to school, and I've loved it. And I mean, lead I'm, by example. Though. Yeah. So have you gotten your doctorate? It. I am three quarters through the academic portion, and then I start my dissertation. Okay, because they didn't introduce you as a doctor. Oh, well, if somebody introduced time. me to the doctor, I think I'm going to have just have to— no, that's happening. You know, what's funny is I would never want to be introduced as doctor. I think it's that's for medical doctors. But, is there a doctor or, in the or house? academic. Yeah. You know, if you're in if you're in a professorial setting. But when you do start doing the study, like anybody who has an earned doctorate, I'm like, doctor, doctor, doctor. Yeah. Cause you realize this is a lot of all nighters and a lot of study. But the degree is not what matters. I'm telling you, Matthew, I have been undone. Just undone by things where I didn't even recognize the unbelief in my own heart. Yeah. I didn't, I think even some of what you hear in culture, I had almost subconsciously believed. And sometimes I would think, am I just being a Pollyanna here, talking about how yeah. God is good, that He sees us and He's for us? And then you really begin diving deep into redemptive history and you go, oh, wow. I didn't see that the first, second, or hundredth go around. Oh, wow, he really is miraculously redemptive. It's just oftentimes in microsmal pieces, so we may not see it. But if we were the people he spoke that truth to 2,000 years ago, you know, like Shalom. I thought when I was younger, probably through my 20s, because, again, my sweet mama was, you know, very much committed to the rules of religion. I thought Sabbath was, I grew up in Florida, so I thought Sabbath was, we weren't allowed to wear bikinis because you know, that was trashy, even though <laughs> our pool Sabbath. was in the backyard. Nobody could see us. <laughs> but we couldn't wear a bikini because evidently God frowned at belly buttons yes, and we yes. couldn't mow the lawn because okay. then the neighbors might think we're working on Sabbath. Okay. And so for me, Sabbath was what you what can't you, what you do, don't do, what yeah, you don't yeah, do. Yeah. And so it felt kind of same way church felt yeah. to me. You wear uncomfortable shoes and you can't talk. Yeah. And it wasn't until years later, and I was reminded of this in a class recently, that, you know, when God gives them Sabbath, they've just come out from under 400 years of slavery. They've been killing themselves, literally working 18, 20 hours a day, no vacation, no time off. And God says, you're not going to understand this in the beginning, but you matter too much to me to kill yourselves. 
I want you to have a time to mm. come apart. I want you to have a time where you focus on me and your family. I want you to have a time where you marinate in the mercy and the That's intimacy good. that I created you for. So it was never punitive. It was—and it happened before the fall when God modeled it. So it wasn't, oh, these humans are such morons. I've got to— Right. It was this—it was an accommodation. It was a perfect gift. And it never was given in a punitive context. And so, I don't know. I just sometimes feel like a kid in a candy store. I keep seeing bigger and bigger. He loves us. He really does love us. Well, and I get challenged when I hear someone like yourself talk about the refusal to settle for a surface level of really faith, but understanding of Scripture. I think a big theme in my life has just been, I get just good enough. Yeah. You know, I'm not Eric Clapton on the guitar. Yeah. But I learned the chords and I was off to the races, yeah. you know, and there's yeah. been some areas of my life where I've had a deep determination, like the craft of songwriting. I've never stopped. I always right. have this insatiable desire to go deeper like right. that. And when you apply that to spiritual matters, right. so one of the things I talk about, like when I'm helping either like young recording artists is I've always looked at the different aspects of my skill sets being like these horses in a race. And I know you like your horses. I've read about <laughs> your childhood horse. But I think about like, okay, there's my singing there's my communication, and there's my songwriting. Right. And maybe if you're fortunate at one point in your career where those three yeah. kind of all yeah. line up and they're, yeah. they're at similar places of development. And when I think about that, like for you as a communicator, mm -hmm. you're a gifted speaker. You have this unbelievable ability to weave in humor with heart, which those are two words that are like, when I write down, like, what am I called to be here about? I'm like, I always think about humor and heart. And when I've seen you speak and it's like, okay. She's got this like amazing ability to deliver a powerful message, but mm. by way of we laugh and then mm. we cry and then we're drawn closer to the Lord. But then some might settle for the surface level of understanding of Scripture, mm -hmm. and that might be the horse that's lagging behind. Right. And if you don't have that, what have right. you got? Then One you're more thing, relying on your own right. humor and your own your ability gifts, to communicate just, just, and self-sufficiency. Your communication gifts. Yeah, I want to go back because you said something like, Mine isn't so much about spiritual pursuits. It's about songwriting. And everything in me went, that's the most spiritual thing you do. God <laughs> has wired you as a songwriter. And I know you aren't saying this because I've heard you preach a million times. You can say more in the three minutes between songs than I can say <laughs> in 35. But he has knit you to be a songwriter, and you're a songwriter for his glory. And so that is the most spiritual thing you can do is to run hard in the lane that you set in front of you. And so I am a windbag. I came out of the womb talking. <laughs> and so for me, kind of the lane he's called me to run in is to teach. And so I don't for a moment think we all need to go to seminary. I don't think all teachers need to go to seminary. I think because of my unbelief, I think I was a poser for years. For years, I did get up and entertain. And I wanted to be a good Bible teacher, but I wanted people to like me more than I wanted to make God famous. Yeah, I feel that for me as well. Yeah, and I think that's just kind of the elephant in the room when it comes to a public platform. You guys, I got to tell you that my wife and I, as parents, we are praying daily that God will show us how to raise our children up to learn that the most important relationship they will ever find in this life is a personal friendship with Jesus. And as a follower of Christ, we know where that search begins, right? By opening God's word, by learning more about who God is 
and how deep his love goes for us. And that's why I'm excited about what my friends at Zondervan have created. They've created the number one Bible for kids, and it makes the perfect gift for boys and girls alike. The Adventure Bible is available in four translations and a variety of colorful bindings. Adventure awaits with this number one Bible. The Adventure Bible features captivating full-color features that get kids engaged with God's Word, and that's what we as parents want. We want them excited to read God's Word. For more information about the Adventure Bible, you can go to adventurebible.com. Go there today. Now, when you go to adventurebible.com, you're also going to find free games, Bible word searches, and teaching resources, all available at adventurebible.com. Be sure to go to adventurebible.com. Get one of these number one Bibles for children. You won't be disappointed, and your kids' faith will grow. And as a parent, isn't that what we hope and pray for every single day? Thank you, Zondervan, for helping us parents in that journey. Speaking of a public platform, you talked about a decade of digging. Yeah. So here's what's interesting, and I'm just going to make a confession. I'm at this women's conference, and yeah. we met at a women's yeah, conference, yeah, yeah. and, I, totally and I always remember. feel like totally out of place. Like I'm like one of the few dudes at the women's conference, and you guys get up and you have this amazing connection with the crowd of ladies. And the, my joke is that 15 years ago, this would have been my dream gig, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. If I was a single dude, like, <laughs> right. wait, wait right. no, I've been married 17 years, so I right. should say 18 right, years right. ago. Right, I got you. I knew where <laughs> Sorry, you were going. Honey. But what's funny is I don't think... And I'm just going to make a confession. I don't know that I've ever really until recently thought, man, Lisa's books or Angie Smith's right. books or would be for me as well right. because we've met in this context. And I think, okay, those right. are books. I'm going to get that book for my wife. Right. So right. I've started listening. I love books on tape. Yeah, me too. And you narrate your own. I just did the so first time. The Happiness. Yeah. Sacrament of Happy. The Sacrament of Happy. Yeah. I think is a book for right now. I know it came out mm. in 2017. Happiness is a struggle for me, yeah. like contentment. Uh, yeah. I think it's a struggle for everybody. Now, is happiness really a struggle for you? Because you present as just being riddled with joy and happiness. Well, I think the key word is present. Okay. You know, I think if I'm being honest, I didn't realize how much maybe you and I would have in common yeah. until I started listening to your book. Yeah. One of the things you said was when you become a master faker, like I had, the truth gets buried pretty deep. Yep. And I rewound it and wrote that down. And then you said, sometimes we need triage before we can get back up and fight the good fight. And I realize all these quotes I'm writing down are in chapter one. So that'll give you an indication <laughs> of how far into the book I am. But I can give the endorsement of the book already just from reading it because it resonates with me. And there's a song I have out right now called Truth Be Told. Mm. And it's literally the story of a preacher's kid who got good at looking the part, right. who then grew up to be a Christian singer, right. and that skill has served me well. Right. But the realization that that's no way to live your life, right. because pretenders never change the world. No. And so I think there's something about it that resonates with me, with mm. you, is that I can present happy. Sure. I don't have a battle with depression necessarily right. in my personal right. life, but I do have a battle with like never being content. Like I'm yeah. learning my Enneagram yeah. and stuff, which is a rabbit hole. Right. But like somebody said something about my Enneagram type that resonated with me. That's like this particular number has a hard time staying for the confetti to fall. Are you a three? No, I'm a three. I am two. Are you as well? Okay. <laughs> yeah. So like Annie Downs, he was doing this whole summer of the Enneagram. Yeah. And I felt like the Lord was just kind of, in 2020, I went into work mode because yep. everything fell apart. Yep, and I don't know what your tendency is, but oh, I was like, work, bootstraps, yep. like it's time. And so I was joking. like, I wrote 15 songs, started writing my next book, 
launched a podcast, right. selling a set of steak knives if you're interested, whatever. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yes, I totally do. What I felt like the Lord was showing me, though, it was almost like I, I literally had this moment where I felt like a pat on the back, and I felt like I was saying, you're doing good, yeah. you're working hard, but don't miss this season by missing the chance for me to work on you. Right. And what's interesting is doing this podcast mm. has been one of the ways where I feel like God is working mm-hmm. on me because I'm going and digging into a book that I would have thought was maybe just for girls, right. your book. Right. And I'm hearing it and I'm going like, I'm blown away. And I'm getting challenged to not settle for a surface level when I'm reading my Bible, to dig deeper and right. to have a greater understanding, to know that I'm going to understand more about the kindness of God and there about happiness will find and me. And to dig deeper all the way around, I mean, I think as I didn't do the Enneagram for years because I thought it was a cult. Because, you know, in Nashville, it's like, that's all everybody talks about. Like, it Enneagram like tattoos. Every, yeah, I'm like, blah, over this. And I go to counseling all the time. I'm like job security for my Christian counselor. So I was like, I have therapy. I do not need the Enneagram. But then a friend of mine just was relentless. And finally, I was like, Laura, her husband and I are like, Twinkies. I was like, I'm Kyle, whatever Kyle is I am. And she goes, no, I don't think so. She said, because Kyle is a seven. She said, you're friendly in your next group. But she said, I'm pretty sure you're a three because I've never met somebody who's so committed to work. She goes, I know you will come in from a tour and you'll clean the baseboards or you'll be outside with a headlamp, you know, doing some landscaping project. I can't. Me neither. Can't. Really hard for me. And so she said, will you just please do it? Well, I did it. And, you know, God, he's so patient with me, so kind with me, because he'll whisper things, and he never beats me over the head with something, but he is just consistent in helping me grow in areas where I'm either stubborn or prideful or reluctant or all the above. And it's like, as I began looking at that, I thought, oh, dang, like I thought I was in recovery here, but my worth is still at some level defined by my work. If I've been productive— I feel like God is pleased with me, and if I haven't been productive, I feel like there's nothing in me that's worthy. I would never teach that. I would never preach it. I would never write it. But in my heart, there's still some damage, abuse, a lot of sexual molestation in my background. And no matter what I say publicly, there's a little corner of me that always feels not quite deserving. And I don't believe God's love for us is conditional But emotionally, there's this little corner of my heart that does. And I have to constantly preach the gospel to myself. I heard this Matt Chandler podcast a couple of years ago, and the word stuck with me. He said, we have to be re-gospeled. And I thought, Hmm. golly jeepers, that's me. reminded. Reminded. It's not a one-time thing. Remember when Paul had to kind of jerk Peter up by the nape of his neck and say, buddy, you know it's faith in Jesus plus nothing else, and you've added a little outpatient, you know, boy surgery to it. And he had to go, (laughs) remember, remember, it's about Jesus. And I feel like I have to tell myself that. You mentioned COVID and working hard at the beginning of COVID. You know, we're up on this hill in the middle of nowhere. Missy has, my little girl has HIV, so we had to be really careful. Nobody knew how kids would be affected initially. And so I was really, really careful. Those first six weeks, you know, if UPS came, they had to leave the package in the driveway and I sprayed it with Lysol. Wouldn't pick it up for 24 hours. And we're on five acres, so we could kind of isolate. 
But I was like, okay, okay, I've done every paper I have to, I've done every, you know, I just worked and worked and worked. And finally I thought, okay, I'll go start cutting down trees. Well, you know, I'm a single 57-year-old woman, so I have chainsaws. My dad was a contractor. So I'm out in the backyard with a chainsaw. Cutting trees down. Cutting trees down. And I'm doing this chainsaw. I'm listening to worship music. I'm just going to town cutting these trees down. And as I'm cutting this tree down, I just kind of had this epiphany. And I thought, I didn't realize this particular chainsaw threw sparks. As I see the sparks, I'm just, I have this delay. I smell propane. I had cut with a chainsaw halfway through (laughs) propane lines. Like totally could have blown us up. Totally could have. And I mean, I jump back. I'm screaming. Missy's like two acres away. Yeah, I'm just panicking. It's about to be a scene from Die Hard. Yes. I'm like, I am just such a moron. But it's because it's hard for me to just sit and just kind of relax in the goodness of God. (laughs) So this makes me think of like, I'm going so much that I'll do dumb things like that. Like I got this new car and the engine was quieter than cars I've had in the past. And I was just, but I'm always running. I'm always running late. And I show up, you know, we're having a dinner at our house (laughs) and I just run in the house real quick. So my wife's not mad at me. And like three hours later, I forget something in my car. I had left the car running three hours. In the garage. In the garage. Fire department has to come. Like- I almost blew our house up. You know, I've done that. I've done these things like just because I'm working so hard and my mind's not stopping. And uh, I feel like, you know, 2020 has been not just a call to rest, mm-hmm. but a force to rest in it a lot has of been ways. A force to rest. And it's, yeah. it sounds like it's been hard for you, like it's been for me too. But just to, yeah. I don't know, that just spoke to me when I felt like the Lord was just like, let me work on you. Yeah. And so work on yeah. me makes me think, all right, I love how you are open about, you talk about, you keep your therapist in business. Oh, heck yeah. And you know, isn't there such a stigma, or at least in years past, yeah. growing up in church, oh, so-and-so's in therapy, right. you know? Like there's this deep, yeah. dark sin. And I want to go, well, yeah, there's a deep, dark sin. It's called pride. It's called yeah. <laughs> unbelief. It's called— And you're not the yeah. only one who's got it. So right. talk about, like, the freedom that you have experienced in not only, like, going through therapy. One of the things that really, like, wrecked me was— when a doctor had done a psych evaluation yeah. on you as a kid, yeah. I'm totally giving the 30. No, People so will need to read really your book and better understand this. But mm. I thought this was so powerful that the doctor said to your mom, she's either the most happy, well-adjusted kid or she's deeply wounded, right? right? And right. turned out to be the latter. Right. So to get to a point, mm-hmm. well, this is what I'm always like, fascinated by is when someone has these wounded chapters of our story and we don't mm-hmm. know what to do with it and we're not created to know what to do with it. Right. You know, our assignment is to figure out how to bring them to our healer right. and find healing for them ourselves. Right. So for you to go through that and now you have a public platform mm-hmm. to go through all that therapy and I've heard you share about it. Obviously yeah. you're sharing about it for all the world to see. Right. Is there pain that comes with resharing the most painful parts of your life? Or is there freedom that comes with it? Like, how do you get to a point where you found so much freedom Mm. for the most wounded part of your life to where you're able to actually tell others and watch it encourage other people? It's a great question. There's both. I had migraine headaches when I was a kid, and I'm kind of a, like we said, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. And so I would never say that I didn't feel good. And then a couple of times I had like, you know, fainted in the track meet, then I got run over by a car and didn't tell anybody. My 
parents hated each other after divorce. And so my dad, of course, assumed I would tell my mom that I'd been hit by a car. I didn't, broke my back in five places, didn't Mm. tell anybody. So there's just this history of me suppressing pain, not dealing with it. And so when I ended up, I had a problem with my optic nerve, and then they thought I had a brain tumor. I didn't. But that's when this particular children's hospital, part of their protocol was every kid with a serious issue had to have a real general psych eval. And the psychiatrist told my mom I was 13 years old, and that's what he said, is she's either the happiest, most well-adjusted child I've ever met, or she has deep wounds. And my mom for years was like, and a doctor said, Lisa's the happiest. happiest. Very sincere. My mama loves me. But it's like we didn't talk about any of the hard stuff. We didn't talk about sexual molestation. We didn't talk about this incredibly acrimonious divorce. We didn't talk about any of that. And I thought, goodness, to ever talk about that is to somehow, my mom's been through enough. Secondly, it can somehow hurt God's reputation. Because if I admit that I still ache, that somehow makes him less than God. Mm. And so it really wasn't until I was in my 30s and 40s and I kept tripping over the same lump under the rug, had this string of toxic relationships behind me Mm. that I thought, I have to deal with this. There's something I have to deal with. In light of you saying, is it painful or is it freeing, liberating to share those hard things? I think if you try to market it, and sometimes I'll see people in our culture that are almost marketing past pain. And I think, oh, be careful not to wrap an acrostic around it too quick. Wow. Because then you're actually, I think, sometimes giving yourself the honor instead of what God has done in you. You know, Chris Kane, one of my best friends in the world is Christine Kane. And years ago, I heard Chris say, she and I have similar backgrounds with some molestation and some abuse. And Chris said, She said, I was molested for the first 13 years of my life. Hmm. She said, I am now 50 years old. So she said, I have not been being molested for 37 years. She said, when what God has done for us begins to become more important in our own hearts and minds than what was done to us, Hmm. that's when you really experience freedom. And I remember it just jarring me, and I thought, oh, she's exactly right. And you can almost hear it. Sometimes people will tell a story, and I'm like, you still are playing victim in your own narrative. And don't pretend like it didn't hurt. But the hero in the story has always got to be Jesus. And so when I talk about how Jesus has been so kind to me, how Jesus has restored unto me years that I served up to locust on silver platter— It's painful sometimes just because, yeah, those were some hard things. I don't love going back to those wounds. I think if you're deeply wounded in childhood, your heart's like wet cement. So a handprint is made. You're always going to have that handprint. When it rains in your life, you know, I gained the COVID-19 or maybe 29. (laughs) So I'm sitting here in stretchy pants. Well, one of my old childhood wounds is I must not be pretty enough for my dad to stick around. Must be something about me that's unattractive. So as a 57-year-old woman, I still in sin, if it's a difficult season, can go back to that lie that I'm not worth it, that I'm not attractive. And I have to go, Lisa, that's not about then. You just inhaled a few too many carbohydrates during COVID. You need to work out a little more. This Mm. is not about your worth. But I think we have to be really vigilant about going, is this about today? Or is this just, it's a rainy season and that handprint, water's filling up in that handprint. Mm. So yeah, there's always pain associated when you talk about things. 
here's the overwhelming liberty and freedom that eclipses the sorrow, maybe kind of the remnants of sorrow still left. I used to think, I wouldn't have been able to wrap words around it, but I used to think in my heart that there was a deep end so deep that it would drown me. That if, if I really went back to the darkest nights of the soul of my life, the places of the most pain, I wouldn't be able to survive. God has been so redemptive that, Matthew, I can go back to those places now, and it's still a deep end. It's not, yay, 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 I hope this happens again, but I'm not afraid I'm going to drown anymore. And then that has carried into my life now. There are seasons now that are still hard seasons. It's scary to me when Missy gets sick. I have more fear associated with God protecting my daughter than I do Him protecting me. Again, lack of faith, lack of belief. But I go, I'm not going to drown. The water really won't rush over my head. I can stand in the deep end. It's still not pleasant, but I'm not afraid I'm going to drown anymore. I'm not afraid of abandonment like I used to be afraid. So the great liberty is, I think sometimes when we share what God's done in our life, we're testifying to ourselves. We're like, oh, that's right. Oh, that's right. right. Thank you, Jesus. And you kind of stand a little taller and go, he's got me and he's got this. Yeah, one of the things that kept me so encouraged in 2020 is looking forward to those chances where I get to do what I love to do, do yeah. what I'm called yeah. to do, and encourage people and finding other ways to do that. And so, you would have done it in the high school locker room, wouldn't you? 100%. I mean, it's like it strips away the huge arena, and you're just like, just let just me yeah. sing my guts yeah. out about how good he is. Exactly. Yeah. And let yeah. it be because I'm excited to tell people about how good he is and not yeah. because I'm trying to market some wounded right. part of my story right. or showcase my abilities as a right. communicator. And that's or a daily— knives. Yeah, or sell steak knives, which, by the way, they cut through a can hey, if you're Hey, listen, interested. I'll give you my card. They cut through propane over. lines if you need. <laughs> Guys, the holidays are fast approaching, and here's one thing that 2020 has taught us. Nothing is normal. So why should we think the holidays are going to be normal? They're going to look a little bit different this year. But, you know, one of the challenges as a dad has been how do I keep my kids from spending too much time on their devices, iPads, cell phones? I mean, you can only binge watch so many shows. And as we turn towards the holidays, I mean, don't get me wrong. We're going to watch The Grinch. But, man, I want to turn the devices off and spend some time as a family. If you think it's impossible to get a kid to put down the cell phone or video game and do something that's good for their brain, you're wrong. It's possible. And that's why I want to tell you about KiwiCo. KiwiCo delivers hands-on science and art projects for kids of all ages. Everything needed to spark curiosity and kindle creative thinking, which makes KiwiCo the perfect gift. If you've got a child, grandchild, niece, nephew, or a little cousin on your holiday list, you have to check out KiwiCo. With KiwiCo, kids can engineer a walking robot, design a paint pendulum, conduct bubbling chemistry experiments, and more, all from the comfort of home. My youngest daughter, Delaney, loves art projects, and the box that we got from KiwiCo was perfect. We learned all about physics through spinning science, and we actually created a spin art device. It was the coolest thing ever. And we had a blast. And most important, we weren't just sitting in front of a TV. And guess what? While we're doing the project, we're making more eye contact. We're having more conversation. Imagine that, getting to have a conversation with your kid. And guess what? I even got a little bit smarter and I didn't think that was possible. 
With different crates for kids of all ages, there's something for every kid on your list. You can start a new holiday tradition with KiwiCo. There's no commitment, so you can pause or cancel at any time. KiwiCo is redefining learning with hands-on projects that build confidence, creativity, and critical thinking skills. There's something for every kid or kid at heart at KiwiCo. Get 50% off your first month plus free shipping on any crate line with code WEST at KiwiCo.com. That's 50% off your first month just for listening to this podcast at KiwiCo.com. Promo code WEST. I collected people's stories several years back. Oh, to make I, record, that's right? one of my still one of my favorite songs. Ten thousand stories plus one in every five. These were stories from inside the walls of the church, and one in every five that came to me, right. this nice Christian singer, right. were with the topic of abuse, not only abuse but sexual abuse. Right? right? I felt ill-equipped, unqualified. Did, oh, sure. I had no clue what to do, so I just soaked in these stories. I prayed over these people, mm. but I started these folders, right, mm. with different categories, so that I could help kind of Alice see what's going on, right. what's the Lord right. trying to tell me. And that folder of abuse was the biggest folder of stories, oh, yeah. and it wrecked me. I went yeah. to a counselor just because of that. Yeah, and he shared. He's like, "Hey, when people share their trauma with you, you experience a little oh, there's trauma. some shared trauma, sure. But when you talked about Jesus needing to be the hero in your story." Someone else has not dealt, right? right? They don't deal, they don't heal. Sorry, right. that sounded like yep. an evangelist thing. No, nope. you got to feel it to heal it. <laughs> there you go. Now no, that'll preach, <laughs> Yeah, right? I didn't make it up. I plagiarize okay. any good thing right. I say, but I like it. But if they don't deal, they don't heal. They're right. listening to you speak. Jesus is not only not the hero of their story mm-hmm. yet in that chapter, mm-hmm. but he may be the villain. Oh. Right? He may be the one oh, who allowed absolutely. it to happen. You did this or to me. Where were you? for women especially, you have a painful experience with a father, with a husband, with a boyfriend, with a lover, and all of a sudden you go, let me take where that male abused me. And unwittingly, I superimpose that on who God is because he calls himself a father. He says he's the love of our soul. And all of a sudden your heart backs up and goes, yeah, I'm not too excited about intimacy with God the Father, God the Son, not too excited about that. And I see it all the time. Well, I would imagine the Lord's used you in a powerful way where you've had the chance to see some walls begin to just fall yeah. in a powerful way yeah. in, in women's lives yeah. when you're sharing that part of your story. And yeah. they're going to begin to realize the importance of dealing, right? Yeah. And that's a big part of it. I think so. And I think for women who see me and they go, okay, she's this loud, fluffy, single woman. Man, if she can do it, I can too, because there's nothing about me that is impressive. Everything wow. good in me, I mean, apart from Jesus being a mom, is the miracle of my life. And Matthew, I was so afraid and so foolish. My 20s and 30s, I just totally missed that window of being able to be married, scared to death to be in an intimate relationship with a man. So I'd get real close to the altar and then just panic and back up. And so I can still remember this probably too much TMI for your podcast. You've got men who are like, oh, help, help. <laughs> My give parents me, are yeah, the only give me the, Okay, good, good. I should have told you good. that. Hey, Mr. Miss West. They love you, bud. But I was in a, a doctor's office for my annual lady parts appointment. <laughs> okay, that is too <laughs> yeah, much. Yeah, a little too much. <laughs> but I can still remember the doctor coming in and thinking, because I was in my 40s, and he said, Nalisa, just, you know, blah, 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 your test came back and you're not going to be able to have biological children. But, you know, since you're not married, but like kind of just very matter of fact, Real sweet, talks about something else. And I'm like, oh, yes, sir, yes, sir. You know, because I'm like 42, 43 years old, not married, work at a church, so I'm not exactly thinking pregnancy. But I walked out into the parking lot of the hospital, 
And Matthew, I don't know how long I was there. I couldn't drive. I was crying so hard because the reality of I don't get to be a mommy, and that's what kind of what I've always thought I would get to parent a child because of my fear. Our God isn't capricious, but there are consequences to sin, and I'm not going to get to be a parent. And so I look back at how God redeemed that. I look at how He wove me into Missy's story after her first mom died. I look at how He resurrected a dream that I, there's no way I could have done that. And I go, I'll spend the rest of my life saying it doesn't matter how badly you missed it. You know, no good thing does He withhold from those whose walk is upright, Psalm 84, 11, or her who often stumbles. You just stumble toward Jesus and he he will redeem things that you've stopped praying for. Speaking of good things, I get a feeling there's not a better thing in your life than Missy. Missy is, you'd say the same thing about your kids. Well, you you you've just can't her, quite believe it. But I, and I wanted to talk with her. I would imagine most interviews you do, people want to hear about your adoption story. And yeah, I won't make you usually. tell the whole story because people can find it. Did you write about it in the Happy I read book? about it in a book called Believing Jesus, and it's actually yes. a study on Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, but I weave the adoption story into that book. So you get Missy from mm-hmm. Haiti. Yeah. She's 11 years old now. I just got to yeah. meet her. Yeah, she loves you. She, we do a lot of dance parties to Matthew West music. <laughs> She's so adorable. She loves you. Yeah. I want her and Delaney, who's my 11-year-old, to meet. So she has HIV. Mm-hmm. And you knew this? I did. Her first mama, Marie, who I never had the privilege of meeting. Sometimes I think, you know, I don't know exactly what Evan's going to be like, but I just can't imagine getting to meet her and going, look at our girl. Mm. Go what God did. Yeah, look who she's Uh, become. Yeah. Oh, man. So Missy was only two when her mama, Marie, died. The man who she had gotten pregnant from had long since died of AIDS, and he stopped taking her out as soon as he found out she was pregnant. And she didn't get tested, was in a very impoverished rural village in Haiti, they just didn't have any medical care there. You know, Port-au-Prince is two hours away or three or four, depending on traffic and what's going on culturally. And so very impoverished, didn't get tested, but started getting sicker and sicker. And, you know, there's a huge stigma with AIDS and HIV in Haiti because they associate it with a voodoo curse. And so okay, she went to admit, yeah, huge huge stigmatization. So she didn't tell anybody. And so basically she was kind of hidden in the shack and just called it the wasting disease. And The wasting um, disease? And uh, great aunt was taking care of Missy. And I just lost two adoptions, one at the 11th hour, and I was just crushed. And a friend of mine went to Missy's village because she was part of a team that was going to possibly give a grant for them to build a bigger kitchen so they could feed the kids in this village. And just so happens, while this girl I know from Bible study is there for four days, they rush to go, can you take Marie to the hospital? And she just happens to be there. Only the Americans have a car. They rush to the hospital. She dies en route. And the doctor comes out, and there's these five pale people in the ER, and one of them is holding Missy, little two-year-old girl, obviously sick. And the doctor's like, are you with Marie? And then they say her last name, and they're like, yes, we are. He said, I'm you know, so sorry to tell you we couldn't resuscitate her. She had already passed away before we got her in the ER. And he said, did you know she had AIDS? And they're all like, we didn't know her. You know, we're just helping the village, but we didn't know her. And he points to Missy. She's two years old sitting on my friend's lap. And he said, is that her daughter? And he's just assuming because Missy's Haitian and none of them are Haitian. 
And they said, yes. And he said, I need to test her for HIV. So they test Missy and they say she's got about two months to live. She had HIV and tuberculosis and cholera and was severely malnourished. And so two weeks after I'd lost an adoption and was just, I mean, Matthew, I didn't know if I could peel my heart off the pavement. I was devastated. It was four days before I was supposed to bring the baby home. This friend of mine I hadn't spoken to in years, we'd been in Bible study together, calls, and she said, Lisa, I know you are really grieving the loss of this baby. But she said, I just got home from Haiti last night. And while we were there, and she explains to me, this mom in the village passed away. There's this little girl. She has an elderly aunt who's got medical problems herself. She doesn't have the capacity to care for her. And she said, the doctors told us if we couldn't find somebody, really anybody, who'd be willing to stand in the gap because she needs meds. She needs all kinds of stuff. And she said that she'll die. And she said, while we were in the ER, God spoke to me. And she said, God said, Lisa Harper's supposed to be this little girl's mom. Mm. And she said, I don't know if you have the bandwidth to even pray about this, but I just had to be responsible because God told me that. And I just had to ask, would you be open to praying about becoming your mom? And I said, no. And you could tell she was just like, oh, crud. And I said, no, I've been praying about this for 30 years. Sign me up. Wow. And then got off the phone, said a word that's not in the Bible. Because <laughs> just immediately you go, oh, crud. I'm not equipped for this. I mean, I'm still grieving. I just lost this adoption two weeks ago. I don't know how you adopt a child from a third world country who doctors are saying doesn't have more than two. I don't know how to do this. And I think that's the thing about faith. <laughs> I think people get intimidated going, how do I do this? And I'm like, you just take the next right step. You you trust Jesus. You take the next right step with everything you have, with your whole heart. You bring everything to bear. And of course, you can't see around the corner. I didn't know what was going to happen. I would have never dreamt my life today would look like it does today. I wouldn't know to pray this big. You take the next step and you trust the Lord with it. Took two years. Brought her home when she was four and a half. Within two months, her HIV was undetectable. It's been undetectable ever since. Wow. So it has been a ride. And that sound, the door opening, was her walking in right here. Hey, Pooch, you want to come say hi real quick? Come say hi. Missy's in the house. Hey, (laughs) (laughs) huh? You are so beautiful. Mm -hmm. My goodness, you you. love your mama? I do. She's been telling me how much she loves you. Thanks for letting me talk to her this whole time. Now, yesterday, before your mom spoke at the conference, you guys did a zip line, right? We did. Now, who was the brave one? Your sweatshirt says fearless. Were you scared or was your mom scared? My mom. Yeah? (laughs) (laughs) But I was the brave one. You were the brave one. (laughs) You're incredible. Oh, Missy, you're beautiful. You're such an awesome kid, and God's done such an awesome thing in both of your lives. I'm going to ask you one more question for you, Lisa. I tell a story at most of my concerts about my blue couch moment. I found God on a blue couch watching a Billy Graham crusade. I sat with my mom and asked Jesus into my heart. And so one of the things that I like asking everybody I get to talk to before our time is up is throughout this talk, you've shared different moments where God has shown up in a powerful Mm -hmm. life. You started out by talking about just in school, you know, in getting your doctorate and reading the scripture and having it hit you. And then there's been moments all along the way. Mm -hmm. But I wonder, is there a blue couch moment for you or for you and Missy where you really kind of had that moment where you're like, okay, this is it. it. This is real. And I have a feeling I'm looking at it right now with you holding your daughter in your arms. Yeah. There's been so many. Goodness gracious. I feel like my life has been made up of blue couches, Matthew, but it would be probably the first time they put her in my arms. 
And she was a little over two years old. She did not like me at all no. at first. I was just this big, scary, pale <laughs> lady. <laughs> and she was sicker than I thought she'd be and lighter. She was two and a half, and she was 18 pounds. And she looked up and kind of scowled. And then, I don't know, maybe 30 seconds later, do you remember what you said? Mm-hmm. You remember you said, <laughs> hello. hello, Mama Blanc. Hello, Mama Blah, which means hello, white mama. Oh. And um, she grabbed my pinky finger with her little fist. And I thought, stick a fork in me. I am done. And I think in that moment, you know how you feel like you can almost see the clouds part and God grinning. And it was almost like he obviously knew then in his omniscience. He was like, to me, Missy didn't struggle with an orphan spirit. She was a literal orphan after Marie died. Missy's never had an orphan spirit. I had an orphan spirit wow. for decades. And I feel like in that moment, God said to me, oh, baby girl, you have no idea what's ahead for you. So, yeah, that was a big blue cow. Oh, for man. Me. This is why I love asking that question because, <laughs> like, people right now, you know, I, I, I want to encourage everybody listening all the time. And every audience that we get in front of is like, God desires that level of closeness with you, that realization that he loves you beyond what you, I love right. how you said you can't even dream that big. Mm-mm. You can't make this stuff up. Mm-mm. You can't dream yeah. the story that you've had. And Lisa, your story, it continues to impact so many people. And I was just excited to chat with you. When oh, I heard we I'm were going to so be at this honored. conference together, I was like, this is going to be the first ever remote episode of the podcast. I think this is the beginning because we have got to schedule a play date with Missy and Delaney. Missy, would you like to meet my daughter Delaney? I would. You come swimming? That's cool. Yeah, that you guys cool? would get along. And that's cool. We can go swimming or ride four-wheelers or do something super fun. Oh, do you have four-wheelers at your house? Okay, let's we go for do. them. That sounds like <laughs> a lot of fun. And you like traveling with Mama, too? I do. You like going on the road? Yes, so I do. Oh, man. That's amazing. (laughs) Don't you love it when you look at your family and you go, he, Taylor, made this to me. I mean. Like he knew exactly what you were going to do, how you were going to do it, and he gives you, you just go, I couldn't make this up the way it fits, the way it works. Couldn't dream that big, but just doing the next right thing, doing that next right step, and you're doing so many right things. The one thing that I didn't get to talk about, but I'm going to point people towards it, Mm -hmm. and now that I know that books written by women who speak at women's conference <laughs> are not just for women. Not just cheesy estrogen. Like so no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. But, I think everybody thinks but, that. And knowing your knowledge of scripture, which I already could tell from speaking, you can tell like, okay, what's the scripture is like, they could tell he had been with Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I want to be that kind of person. Me too. You are that kind of person. And to hear somebody speak who's spent time in scripture, who knows the ins and out, the context. And, and I mean, the fact that you could even speak from the book of Numbers last night, <laughs> who cares if those <laughs> ladies didn't appreciate off. it? I was just showing off. But you do a study on Job. Mm-hmm. And I listened to a message that you delivered at Stephen Furtick's church, mm. Elevation. Yeah. I'm going to post a link to that message that you shared. I think it's on your, you posted it on season one of your podcast as well. That's where I found it. Oh, okay. But your study on Job just Mm. feels like a study for 2020. I feel like we're all having a collective Job season when everything falls apart. And so I'm going to post links so people can go find 
the study, your latest book. Yeah. And then are you going to be doing many more speaking engagements in 2020? You know, I've got a few, and then I'm taping a new Bible study in Nashville in November called How Much More. It's on How Much More He Loves Us. It's on lisaharper.net. Thank you for joining me oh, today. Oh, I loved it. It I really was it. good for I my heart. being around you. And I look forward to staying in touch with you yeah, and having too. Missy meet Delaney. I do too. Thanks, Matty. Hey, now it's time for Songs from the Story House. Today's Song from the Story House was written and released on my latest album that just came out on Valentine's Day of 2020. The album was brand new. The song was also recorded live and released on an EP that just came out on October 30th. It's a live EP, my first ever live EP, called Live Before the World Shut Down. Why? Because these performances were recorded live before the world shut down. Today's song from the Story House is called without you and there's no me I think of this song as being sort of a back-to-basics kind of lyric, you know, just listing different things that exist in the world as I'm looking at them and being reminded, oh yeah, that wasn't created by mere human hands. Just this acknowledgement that none of this exists, life as we know it, if not for a creator who had the idea and breathed it all into existence. I think that's like home base, that's back-to-basics, coming back to that ground zero, if you will, of acknowledging that I'm only here because there's a God who had the idea to create me. And when you approach life from that awareness, I think it makes anything possible because you begin to realize my existence here is no coincidence. I'm here on purpose because my God creates things on purpose. The sun, the moon, and the stars. Take a listen to this first verse. I think you'll know what I'm talking about. There's no sun without you telling it to rise And there's no stars without you stretching them across the sky And no raindrop falling without you telling it where to land And no ocean wave without the wave of your hand In the second verse, AJ, my co-writer, and I, we wanted to go to more spiritual matters And there's a little tip of a hat which people probably wouldn't even recognize if I didn't tell you, but I had a song on my last album called Mercy is a Song. And so I wanted the second verse, this sort of wound up being a little kind of reference to that and says, there's no song without your mercy's melody. And my favorite line in the song comes in this second verse and it says, there's no hope without you rising up from the grave and there's no freedom without you chasing away my shame. Amen, amen, amen. Take a listen. Well, there's no song without your mercies and melody And there's no future without the plans you have for me And there's no hope without you rising up from the grave And there's no freedom without you chasing away my shame You know, I created this EP live before the world shut down just because I was kind of feeling nostalgic, just missing live music. You know, I think my wife has missed live music too. 
she's never had me in the house for such an extended period of time. There was literally one day where I said something that made her mad, and she said, don't you have a tour bus to get on? But that's another story for another time. Most of the recordings on this Live Before the World Shut Down EP, including this version of Without You, were taken from a performance in New York City that we did in February, literally right before the world shut down. We were in the Meatpacking District at the offices of YouTube. They had this awesome, awesome space, and they invited us to come in and do a special concert for a small crowd showcasing mostly songs from the new album. That's where this version comes from, but the band was just incredible that night. I mean, they're great every night, but especially Jake. We call him Jake from State Farm. He's our lead guitar player, but what he did in this live version just had a special thing to it, so I gotta give a shout out to Jake from State Farm. From a musical perspective, this song just has a groove to it and a soul that like brings out a different thing in my voice, so I love singing this song. A lot of times when you do a live show, you really only have time to do the songs that people want to hear from the radio. And so that's what was so cool about putting this live EP together. This was a song that I just knew I wanted to play live with the band at least once. We had some awesome singers with me, as you can hear. The band, it was just, I don't know, it just had a feel to it and it felt right for this song. So I loved being able to sing this song live, even though I might not get the opportunity to do that very often. The final takeaway of this song is really in the bridge, and it reminds us, this is, again, a home base, back to basics, the only solid rock on which I stand. I know by now, all other ground is sinking sand. That's the firm foundation we can stand on. There is no me without you, Lord. So let your will be done. Hope this song fires you up. Be sure to check out the Live Before the World Shut Down EP, and thanks for listening to Songs from the Storyhouse. And there's no me. He is my dad, and he gives good advice, and that's why in every episode of Let's Go to the Story House, I love to invite somebody who has had a profound impact in my story, and it's my dad. He is my dad, and he gives good advice, and that's why this segment is called Dad Advice. Dad, thanks for being here today. How are you? I am doing okay, son. Awesome. Do you have a word for us today? Yes, I do. The word is... No matter what. No matter what. All right. I like that. It comes from the Old Testament in Habakkuk. Habakkuk is the name of a prophet of the children of Israel. And the book is tucked in towards the end of the Old Testament. It tells about what the children of Israel were facing in the prophet Habakkuk's day. But Habakkuk was complaining to God that the people were wicked And he was saying, what is going to happen? Babylonian captivity was coming, but it was all leading to the Messiah coming to be our Savior and Lord. But here's what he came to the conclusion of. After complaining to God and saying, God, why don't you do something? He says this, though the fig tree does not bud 
and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The Lord God is my strength." Now, he painted a pretty bleak picture. You might think what you're going through, or I might think what I'm going through is pretty bleak. The days that the children of Israel were living in were bleak days. But what did Habakkuk say? No matter what it looks like, I will praise the Lord. And it's so important that we learn to praise him no matter what. That's a great encouragement, Dad, and a great reminder to anybody listening right now. Perhaps you're in the middle of a chapter of your story where it just feels like what Habakkuk said. There's no grapes on the vine, right? Like maybe there's no money coming in. Maybe you're struggling financially or emotionally. Maybe you just feel like you're in a spiritual drought. Or maybe you're in the fight of your life right now. Listen, I want you to listen carefully, and I want you to be reminded that that God can fill you with the same strength that Habakkuk had, where Habakkuk and many others in Scripture faced desolate seasons and yet made the choice that no matter what, they were going to worship the Lord. No matter what, they were going to put their trust in God. I promise you, if you make that your decision in the seasons where there's no grapes on the vine, and you say, no matter what, Lord, I'm going to trust you, he will honor that. He will bring you through. And ultimately, you'll look back on these desert chapters of your story, and you will see how God was getting ready to grow some flowers. And there was going to be some grapes on that vine coming. God is going to take care of you. Say, no matter what today, I'm going to serve the Lord. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. That's our show for today. I want to thank my friend, my guest, Lisa Harper. I told you guys she was amazing, and I know you're thinking right now, you're right, Matthew, she is amazing. How cool was that? Hey, you can continue to be ministered to by her with her awesome books and devotionals. Go pick them up. We're going to post links to every single one of them, especially the book, The Sacrament of Happy, that I'm reading right now at matthewwest.com slash podcast. You can find out everything you'd want to know about Lisa Harper or any detail for this podcast. Go to matthewwest.com slash podcast. You'll also find out how to sign up to receive free weekly devotionals from me and my dad, just like the dad advice he shared with you. Go to matthewwest.com slash podcast. Listen, I'm going to close by saying this. I'm praying for our country. I'm praying for you. Go make the most of the one life you get. Remember, let it start with you, the change that you want to see in the world. Go be that change today. May God use you and your story in powerful ways. You just wait and see. When you place your story in his hands, God can use you in a powerful way. God bless you. It's your story for his glory. I'll see you next week. Seriously, I, I, I do.